Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Roots Running Sessions. I'm Richie Hansen, host and head coach of the Roots Running Project. And in this episode, we'll hear from Noah and Aaliyah regarding their performances at the Chicago Marathon, which took place a couple weeks ago. My initial thoughts, I thought both of them performed decent. Neither one hit a home run, but I thought it was good considering the conditions of the day and the circumstances surrounding their buildup. So we'll take it. Aaliyah ended up finishing eighth place overall. She ran 234. Obviously, we wanted a little bit faster of a time, but considering what her spring and winter looked like, getting sick a, a couple of times, coming back from an Achilles injury in January, we knew that her spring was about getting back into some consistency and rebuilding some of the fitness she had gained last year. Um, I thought the 234 and finishing eighth overall, two places higher than she did last year, was pretty good. As we've said in the forecast on the preview of Chicago, the conditions were going to be a little bit on the warmer side. It ended up being about 68, 70 degrees on the day with 90% humidity. Um, so not ideal marathoning conditions, but ones that you can still kind of work with. You just have to be a little bit more conscious of fluid intake, a little bit more under control pace wise, but you know, it's going to hurt at some point, even if the weather was perfect. And so the way that both of them responded, I think are things that they can learn from and take away and be, be happy with how they performed overall on the day with Noah his buildup was really, really short. So eight weeks of quality work isn't the most ideal for a marathon buildup, especially at the elite level, but I thought he performed decently on the day. He was on pace for where we had projected his fitness through about 20, 21 miles. His last five miles, he just fell apart a little bit, some of which you're kind of operating in no man's land where you don't have anyone to really run with. So when you're hurting and not having anyone to kind of key off of, that puts you in an uncomfortable position, especially in a new event. But it also just showed the strength was lacking there from how short his buildup actually was. Now, it's funny because I overheard a couple of people here in Boulder talking about, well, Noah should have done this for volume or he should have done this for workouts. And it's like, I agree. We just couldn't. Coming back from the injury that he had in May and June, we just weren't able to build up his marathon buildup as much as we would have liked. So we had to live with where his volume and his workouts ended up being during that block. So in the future, yes, we would obviously like his volume to be higher. We'd like some of his workouts to be a little bit longer or a little bit faster. But we had to take what his body was going to give us for this training block and be okay with how it was capable of performing on the day relative to where he was coming back from in an opportunity to to still race against good competition. One thing you have to keep in mind, whether it be a coach or an athlete, you can't rush fitness and you can't jeopardize health for the sake of trying to put yourself in this ideal number of what you think a mileage needs to be at or a pace that a workout needs to be at. You still have to go with what your body will allow so I feel like we did that pretty well and it allowed him to be healthy on the day when in mid-July it didn't look like that was going to be the case. And so I thought given the circumstances, he performed well 
with all things considered. Now, would we have liked it to be faster? Definitely. Would we have liked his volume to be higher? Definitely. But at the end of the day, he performed well given the cards he was dealt. And I think we can take that at the end of it. Same with Aaliyah. Coming back from a couple of illnesses, we felt her training was getting into a better spot than it had been in the winter and spring. So she performed up to the level of where her fitness actually showed. Would we have liked that fitness to be better had she not had that hiccup in training in January through March? Absolutely. But I felt the way that she responded off of that type of, uh, off of those circumstances was, was pretty decent. One thing that I harp back to is John Wooden had a famous quote that things don't always end up the way you want them to, but how they should. And so we were able to put ourselves in the best position to perform adequately on the day within the fitness that they were able to achieve. But again, it's, it's easy to be a couch coach when you're looking from the outside and say like, oh, he should have done this or he should have done that. Yes, I agree, but maybe we would have gotten him hurt if we had done things a little bit differently. So I'm happy with the day, all things considered, but we know it can be better in the future, and we also hope that they can be healthier in the future going into those blocks. So Aaliyah getting back into consistency and performing eighth on the day, like I said, we'll take it. The time we need next, Noah running 216 which is still good, I feel like, for a debut marathon. But we know that his upside is 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 much greater than that, um, assuming that he can have a consistent buildup and build up into normal volume. He was able to hit about four weeks at 90 miles a week, which is still the most that he's ever hit. But we know that to be competitive on that, that elite level, uh, we need a little bit more consistency of that moving forward. The decision to actually do Chicago uh, was made before his Achilles injury. So we felt that if he wasn't able to get back into training um, by the middle of August, we obviously would have made the call not to have him do it. But when we started seeing training come around, it's like, well, might as well. We knew the field was going to be good, so might as well give it a shot kind of see what your body can do for the distance. And if you can run well off of the buildup that you've had, then it's a good indicator of what potentially we might see in the future with a good buildup. So I thought he was, I thought he performed pretty well on the day as well, given the circumstances. And it made both of us excited to see what he potentially could do in the future, knowing that some people have perfect buildups and still run 216. So his with an imperfect buildup in running 216 on a perfect buildup, the, the question of what, what could he do um, looms pretty large. Now for both of them, they're going to have a little bit different turnarounds. Aaliyah is excited to get back into training right away with, with regards to trying to shoot for another marathon, whether it be the spring, summer, or fall. Uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see see what the schedule looks like. Uh, with Noah, um, in an ideal scenario, I wouldn't have him do a marathon until next fall. It'll give him the spring and summer to kind of build back some of the volume, get consistent with that volume, stay healthy with that volume, and then really go after after a fast time this next fall. Um, but with with all that being said, I was pretty pretty happy with the day. Um, 
and excited to see what they can do moving forward. So with that being said, we'll hear from them and see what their thoughts were. As always, if you like the content we're providing here, please follow us on Instagram or Twitter at roots underscore running and like or write a review of our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. All of your feedback is much appreciated and we thank you guys for your support. You know, when things get tough, you have to know what you're fighting for. And that answer in running, I think, can shift throughout your entire career. But it was refreshing to sit down with her and make me think about my own career again. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with Noah Drotti and Aaliyah Gray. We are about a week, I guess two weeks now, post-Chicago Marathon. And hopefully they have both had a chance to process it for the purpose of this podcast. So Aaliyah was eighth overall and third American in the race, running 234, pretty equivalent time to what she did last year. Noah, this was his, technically his debut. He ran 219. Well, technically not my debut. Right. I'm saying like yeah. technically, <laughs> technically your debut yeah. in the sense of like, he, he ran the trials, dropped out at around mile 18, um, only had about four weeks to prepare for that race because qualifying was a bit of a surprise at the time. Um, so this, even though officially he had started one marathon, we're calling it his like unofficial debut just because it was the first one that you were preparing for. Debut death. So based off the results of Chicago two weeks ago, Let's hear your guys' initial reaction as to how the performance went on the day. Aaliyah, let's start with you. So, initial reactions. Um, I, I would say that I wasn't necessarily over the moon with the performance, but I was decently satisfied with it on the day. You know, going into the race, I had certain time goals that I wanted to hit, that I really wanted to hit, and I've had my eyes on the 230 mark for a while now. I don't think that's a huge surprise. Um but as things kind of heated up and just with the way that my body was feeling midway through the race, there was a certain point where I just had to realize it wasn't going to necessarily be the amazing day where I was going to knock out a huge time goal, but that there was still a, a different purpose to the race. And at that point it was racing, um, which I think is easy to lose sight of in the marathon. You, you want to see a certain time, a certain time come around. So I was happy with the way that I placed, um, you know, with, with the company that I was in, but I'm still looking for that big day when things really click time-wise for me. Um, I think I accomplished my personal A goal of learning what the marathon is um, going into the race. That's one thing I really wanted to do was, was get to the finish line and have a better understanding of the event and be excited about doing another one. And I think I felt that way when I finished and in the days afterward um the actual performance was you know definitely nothing that's lighting the world on fire uh 216 is slower than I thought I could run and uh I finished farther back in the American field than I thought was possible but uh, considering my build-up I was really happy with how I felt through 20 miles and and I didn't put a lot of you know I didn't beat myself up over blowing up in the last 10k I think that's something that'll come I definitely looked at it as a first step in a marathoning career yeah I think when we look at 
both of your performances on the day. The weather wasn't ideal. I mean, it was humid and it was warmer on the day than we were hoping for. Um, but no, with yours, I mean, we knew the buildup was super condensed. You really only had about eight, nine weeks of pure workload prior to the two week taper into the race. Um, and hitting kind of goal marathon pace through 2021 before having it kind of catch up to you. I think that's just that it shows the strength. We just need the consistency of that buildup. Um, and Aaliyah for yours, like you went out through halfway, ideally where we wanted it to be. You kind of caught yourself running solo for a while, um, which we were hoping wasn't going to be the case, but it ends up being something where you just have to got it out on the day and like you said turn it to to racing mode as opposed to what the time potentially might afford um when you guys look at your build-ups kind of describe how that went kind of what your hope was going into the race um both have their hiccups i touched on it in our pre-race podcast Aaliyah, with you dealing with some illnesses Noah, you dealing with some injury um but in your guys own thoughts what was your your hope going into the race um, again, looping back around, perhaps maybe naively, my, one of my really big hopes was just for a big marathon PR, um, which didn't happen. But the the biggest takeaway I have from this buildup segment is that it was finally like a healthy a healthy segment. And the past year since I had been at Chicago, like Richie had outlined in the other podcasts, I had had several bouts of getting sick, um, some bad luck with an Achilles injury, just kind of one little thing after the other that really led to more inconsistency than I've really ever had since I started running. So it was great to put together an actual buildup where you just had the normal things that went wrong. You know, no buildup's still going to be perfect, but minor aches and pains here that you're going to expect with marathon training and with bumping up the mileage a little bit. Um, I was actually able to bump up my mileage a little bit more than I have in the past under Coach V Hill, and so yeah, it was the first time you were at a hundred. Yeah, and I, I feel like we've wanted to do that for a while, but the intensity of his workouts, I've been kind of I've been trying to master the entire system first before he's really moved me up in distance. Um, but increasing the mileage a little bit and dipping into triple digits is something that I want to do, and something that I feel like is going to be really beneficial in marathon segments to come. So, which I think it's it's crazy to think that like you, your last three marathons, you were eighth at Chicago, tenth at Chicago, tenth at Trials, but here you're talking about just dipping your toe into triple digits. When like there's probably tons of college kids out there that are talking about hitting triple digits. It's really easy to be seduced by by high mileage. Um, it's, it's an easy thing to feel like that's the ticket to running faster. Um, and it's part, it's part of the ticket, but at the right time. And I've always wanted to run high mileage. It's probably been my coaches that have had to hold me back or else I would run more. So that was an exciting part of this segment too, even though the final result was not necessarily the time that I feel like I'm still capable of. Um, getting the training a little bit more dialed in and closer to where I feel like it should be in the coming years was exciting. So going into the race with that sub 230 goal, workout workout wise, everything was kind of pointing towards that. What do you think is going to make the difference to being able to hit that in the future? 
honestly, just continuing to train like that. Yeah, the consistency yeah. is what we kept harping on. It was the most, like you said, inconsistent training that you've had since training under Coach V Hill this winter and spring that to string together those cycles is, is the big thing. Yeah, to string together those cycles is huge, and string together those cycles without big interruptions um, goes a long way. And so in some ways I felt like I was just working to get myself back to where I was since I had taken a step back with inconsistency. So it was awesome to see that come around again and finally to feel like myself running. Um, But I really think just consistency, uh, callousing the mind a little bit more, callousing the legs a little bit more, about five miles to go, uh, my legs did not want to keep moving. Um, yeah, and that was something that, I mean, one of our good friends is a, is a boxing coach, and that was something that you had sat down with her to, like, rediscover that fight, fighter's mentality. Yeah, Carrie was, Carrie was really awesome. Um, and, you know, when I sat down with her, she talked about that most boxers, pretty much all boxers, have something to fight for. It's usually not the privileged kids that are getting into boxing. Um, if you look at the history of the sport... It's people that have been, like, persecuted and just, I don't know, these these populations of people that have really been through hell and back. Um, so one thing that I thought of after I sat down with her is, you know, when things get tough, you have to know what you're fighting for. And that answer in running, I think, can shift throughout your entire career. But it was refreshing to sit down with her and make me think about my own career again and the things that motivate me. I know with you, we talk about consistency with Aaliyah. It was like the biggest inconsistent time of training that she's had. You've been fairly consistent for the past two years, but now we hit the first hiccup, which came after Peyton Jordan. Yeah, after Peyton Jordan um, and pretty much all during that time leading up to USA Outdoor Track Championships and a little bit beyond, I had some Achilles tendinitis, tendinosis, whatever, uh, flare up on both sides. Um, and that was really difficult trying to wrap your head around starting a marathon segment when you can not walk without significant pain. Um, so that's kind of where I started and it was kind of an emotional roller coaster trying to get in the headspace of like holding out hope that that would pass, but also knowing that there was, like, kind of a finite date where if it wasn't healed by then, like, then you have to reconsider the entire plan and all the implications of that. So it was kind of a weird headspace, like, starting the marathon buildup, but once we actually, <clears throat> like, started running, um, I mean, I didn't take a, I didn't take a day off from when the segment began to when it ended, so... It was... And I feel like I saw your confidence build week to week to week once you were seeing, like, certain workouts. Like, it's crazy, like, you and I talked about after Chicago what your middle of July looked like to what your first couple workouts in August looked like to what September looked like. Yeah. I mean, the first workout back, we just did two by two mile, um, like right around marathon pace. And that was really, really hard. Um, and I had, I had Tyler out there just kind of dragging me all the way through it. And I remember just being like, all right, I did two of these and I'm about to throw up. Um, and now, you know, it's really hard to relate that workout to, like, what you hope to do in a couple months, but I think I just had kind of, like, cautious optimism, like, extremely cautious optimism, just week by week, and 
I hadn't come off an injury in a long time, so I wasn't sure how my body was going to react. It was just like a very unknown quantity um, until until very late into the buildup when we thought, okay, like maybe I can actually be semi-competitive still. What after running your first full crack at the distance? What do you think? Um, I, th- I think it suits me really well. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I was really proud of the way I ran the first 18 miles or so. Like, my my splits didn't fly, Like, every mile was between 502 and 505, or at least the average of all those 5Ks were between 502 and 505. And so that didn't, that didn't start coming up. Like, I was within that range, like, pretty easily the whole way. Um, so it just gives me confidence that I can run in a marathon rhythm. Um, mentally, I think I handled the distance pretty well like there's there's moments of panic early in marathons where you're just like man I just hit six miles that felt kind of hard there's 20 to go like can I do it and I was pretty good about calming myself down in those moments and and just like forgetting about it until like the next wave of panic came but which is only like a few miles down the road um so yeah I was proud about certain aspects and and I think the things that didn't work are things that are easily fixed, um, like nutrition. What I had a tough time getting bottles. I think we can do better about dialing that in, making sure I grab it. <laughs> and then... Um, and just more time practicing, taking in fluids. And yeah, stuff. and more time practicing. And then, like, the way my legs kind of blew up at the end, I think that'll come around just with, you know, larger blocks of consistent running and building mileage up. Now, you touched on dialing in the fluids a little bit. I mean... You, you both shared some stories of kind of the chaos of the bottle stations at Chicago. Um, no one in particular. You had two kind of crazy stories. Um, the one with Jeff Eggleston and the one with, what was it, Lilisa? Oh, that wasn't a bottle station. That was right. That was yeah. just around a turn. So tell those stories real quick because that was kind of, one was really cool and one was unfortunate. Yeah, well, the unfortunate one was with Jeff Eggleston, and that, that was late in the race. We were kind of running together, and he ran up to a table to grab his bottle and got his foot tangled in the uh, tablecloth and went down really hard, and that ended his day. And That that was really unfortunate because Jeff is a good dude. Um, and talented. Too. And talented, yeah. I mean, he's a 210 guy. Um, but it, it also gives you this, like, moment of self-reflection where you're just like, I'm still here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, so that was kind of an adrenaline boost, um, the other one was, uh, when Frisa, Lisa, like, the, the pack went around a tight left-hand turn, and I could see some chaos up there, but I, I was lingering a few seconds back, so I wasn't sure what, what exactly was going on, but by the time I rounded the corner, I saw, um, what appeared to be a Japanese marathoner just on his back, it looked like a couple guys had gone down, or kind of picking themselves up, and, uh, that's another moment where you just kind of you know, rest in peace to that guy, and then you, <laughs> you kind of forge ahead because that's what you have to do. Um, but I noticed uh, Freyisa, um just a few strides ahead of me, he, he kind of glanced over his shoulder, and then you could see him struggle for a moment with, like, what he should do. Should, should he continue to go back? And he ended up going back and helping that fallen marathoner back to his feet. Um, and then he caught up. He caught back up with the pack, um, maybe a half mile later. And you know, I definitely respected that move. It was, you know, it's rare that you see a moment of like true sportsmanship in distance running because there's not a lot of opportunities to demonstrate it. Um, and he definitely uh, took advantage of an opportunity there. 
Yeah, and when when you were talking about the Jeff Eggleston thing of like a law of attrition, what what is that like in a marathon distance where you don't know what's happening in front of you? You don't know who's dropping out and who's staying in there. I mean, Aaliyah, I was counting your places, and for a while, like I kept saying, you were second American, eighth overall, but then the third place overall runner goes by me and jumps in a van to drop out of the race. And so it's that weird thing of you don't really know half the time what place you are unless you're getting feedback on the course. So you have to constantly just keep fighting with the assumption that like you're gaining ground on people or making up places based on who also is not having their best day. I think that's maybe one of the hardest parts about actually racing a marathon Um, because you do find yourself, unless you have feedback like that, you do find yourself either solo or just within the same group that you've been operating within and not necessarily knowing what's going on in front or behind you. You can't see as far as you can in like a track race or even just some of the shorter road races. Um, So I think it's different if I'm getting feedback and someone's telling me that like, Hey, you're in eighth place, but 30 seconds down on the girl in front of you. Um, that gives me hope that I can go like run and catch her, you know, versus if I just don't see any female ahead of me. Um, I think it, it just becomes a war with yourself. Um, which is what the best marathoners learn how to do. They learn how to battle with themselves, especially in those later miles. Uh, but again, the feedback really does help for the racing aspect later in the race. I would say super early on, it really doesn't matter. But when you get past maybe like 15 miles, you can kind of start notching down, notching down the heads. Um, yeah, for me, I never, I never felt very competitive against the field. I felt like I was really competing against the distance. Um, so it didn't bother me at all. I was also running with the lead group through 15 miles or so, and then once they, once they pulled ahead, like I knew, you know, I knew like a lot of them were ahead of me, and you know, so there were some people dropping out and stuff, and that's always nice to know you've moved up a, a spot. But um, yeah, I was more so focused on getting to the end of the race with my own body intact and just hoping that put me as high up as possible. Um, and like, you know, when I'm starting the race, I'm not like delusional. I I understand that the winner of this race is going to be, you know, on a really good day, five minutes ahead of me. So it's different in other, in terms of other races that I've started where I know I can be competitive for top spots in Chicago. It was more like finish as high as you can and get to the finish line, um, as fast as possible. So I think the competitiveness in me didn't come against other athletes in this race as much as it just did like the distance now Galen Rupp who obviously won the race we we saw that he ran without a watch that's rare in a marathon to run without a watch obviously he's going from a racing standpoint what was your guys thoughts on that like that's a it's pretty bold obviously it's another incredible run by Galen a very incredible (laughs) incredible thing that he did that day yeah. And many other days in his career. Just very unbelievable, incredible <laughs> running from Galen. <laughs> yeah, I second that. <laughs> yeah. But Galen aside, running running without a watch in the race, the idea of doing that, do you feel like you'll ever get to a point where you feel comfortable enough with running by feel that you can ditch the watch and just go and race at that distance? 
I, before I would have said absolutely not, but I've actually kind of toyed with the idea. Um, especially partially because my watch was doing some funky things, just being in Chicago in general, the buildings kind of screw with the Wi-Fi, or not with the Wi-Fi, the buildings screw with the GPS. Is there Um, no Wi-Fi out here? (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but so like, I was actually out too fast for my first mile. I think I came through in like low 530s. Based on the feedback your watch was giving you? No, no, no. I came through in like low 530s based on just even the first mile marker. But yeah. my watch told me that I ran 610 for well, the first mile. Mean. Like, your watch is telling you something different than what the course clock is. Right. So sometimes I feel like maybe it's not the most beneficial. And the other the other thing to keep in mind is Chicago did a great job with... I think they had, I think they had timers at every single mile and even kilometer point. So if you kind of, if you knew some markers of where you should be at every 5K or so, um, I think you could get a decent read. Whereas... Like I said, the GPS just wasn't as spot on as it usually is, so it can be, it cannot, it can be giving you false information. Yeah, I never looked at the auto split on my watch at all because I figured that was going to happen. So I, w- I was just manually splitting it at every mile marker um, because they had that line on the ground that was the actual mile mark. So my watch would buzz, and I didn't even look at it until I like knew I was actually at the course um, mile marker. So that said, I was never looking at. I was never looking at my, like, current pace. I I would just kind of, like, get to the next mile, look at it, and just kind of assess how I was feeling based on the number that I saw on the watch. I think that was beneficial, but I never changed anything because of what my watch was telling me because, one, I was kind of running with the pack, but also I think I felt I found a really good rhythm um, to the point where, like, the watch, I was just kind of on autopilot. But it was reassuring to come through the mile and be like, oh, that mile was exactly the same as the one before, and the effort felt about about equivalent too. And then, but once and then once my legs went out from under me, all my watch my watch was just confirming what I was already feeling, and there was really <laughs> nothing that I could do to to get that number back. Well, and that was even me over the second half, um, or really the last like five miles when my legs were not wanting to cooperate. I don't think I looked at my... I didn't look at my watch until, like, last week, actually, <laughs> to see what the splits were, because at that point, it was just tunnel vision to the finish. You know, it was... The goal wasn't time anymore. The goal was just getting to the finish on two legs. <laughs> Where, what were you telling yourself in the moment? When things were getting rough? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that sometimes time goals can be really... can be stressful when things are getting tough like that, and so... I've, you've made me ditch the watch in practice before when like a workout isn't going well. And so I, that's what I kind of forced myself to do in the race too. Is like, well, I'm not feeling great. I don't think the watch is going to tell me something that is going to boost my morale. So we're not going to look at it and we're close enough to the finish now to where we can just run hard. So the goal was just to run hard. And I tried to keep it as simple as that because at that point you're so tired that you can't really focus on anything complex. So it's just whatever you have left. How did you guys come off of the race? Um, okay, fine, long-term, like, pretty rough, short-term. Like, when I finished, I was, like, very nauseous, very beat up. It was, it was real bitch of a, uh, it was real bitch of a thing, because, like, I was, 
you know, spend the last 10K fantasizing about the moment when I can stop running and just, like, you know, the relief you get after running hard and then, like, coming to a full stop. But I felt way worse once I stopped. And <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just started throwing up everywhere and, like, limping back to the tent. They had they had this poor kid walking with me. And I was like, dude, go. You can leave me. Like, I can t- Save yourself. Like, I, I can tell you're bored. It's okay. You move along. But he stuck with me until the very end. Um, yeah, so that was rough. I had to kind of lay in the fetal position in the hotel for a while. Um, and I was really sore the day after, but... Uh, I ran for the first time like five days, four or five days after that, just jogging a little bit. So, uh, re- really fine. I made it through without any long-term injuries. And I think, uh, I think more importantly, like, you know, I was excited about a new distance and event that I discovered. So like, I didn't feel as mentally burnt out as I have after a lot of my major emotional highs in lows, so I felt like mentally still pretty ready to go. Um, I I felt like I came off the race pretty well. I again with the inconsistency from last year, I didn't feel super spent uh, physically. Maybe as as spent as I have been after past marathons. The first the first couple of days I was pretty sore and couldn't walk downstairs. Right, <laughs> um, but I would say after two days I was I was pretty much okay. And walking normal again. Yeah, your blisters, I think, were the worst thing. Yeah, you. yeah, I am gonna lose three toenails. Um, <laughs> rest R. in R. peace. <laughs> Moment of silence. Um, <laughs> no, but really, besides the toenails and a couple days of being sore, I've been all right. Um, yeah, ready to get back into it. Yeah. Now the the thing that we both we. Noah and I, you, you, when you get back from your trip to India, we'll kind of hash out what's next for you. Aaliyah, you and I have had a brief conversation about like what might come on next. One of the things you emphasized afterwards was like, I'm ready to get back into training ASAP because um, you felt like you were getting your rhythm. And Noah, like you said, you weren't, it took you a couple of days to kind of recover from the post-race soreness, but overall, like, you didn't feel incredibly beat up from the cycle because of how short it was. The big thing for both of you after a race like that is just the mental energy that goes into it. I think Noah actually hit on a really good point too, um, where it wasn't necessarily a super emotionally high or low day for either of us. You know, we both, we walked away with things that I think we both would have liked to see go better, but things that we certainly know could have gone worse. And so in a weird way, that's probably easier to come off of than a big performance on either side of the spectrum. So with that, Aaliyah, you, you've, you've done marathons in the past. Noah, this was your first one. Mentally, emotionally, how did you guys feel coming off of it? Um, I, felt, I felt better than I have like after, then, well, I felt better than I had after like some previous big races. Like, New York was obviously, like, a, a super emotional high, but I was also, like, totally mentally and physically burned out after that to the point where it affected my training and racing for months. Um, you know, and I think I've had other races like that where, you like, being being really, really happy about a race is almost, like, a curse because... <laughs> Because you feel a sense of accomplishment, and accomplishment kind of leads to complacency to the point where I've been like, 
kind of ready to ride off into the sunset for a little while. And I feel like I've all, like before a lot of my big performances, I've also pushed my body like farther than it had ever gone before to the point where afterwards, like I'm just so tired of running in pain that <laughs> I'm ready to be done for a while. And so th- this wasn't either of those situations because the time wasn't anything to be super happy or sad about. Um, and physically, like the buildup was pretty short that I was really just coming into my stride in the last week or two of it, and the marathon itself didn't kill me. So I I felt pretty even-keeled coming off it compared to a lot of other performances that I've had. Yeah, I would say I I probably didn't realize in 2016 how much the Olympic year took a toll on me emotionally or, like, just just how much it um, played into what I was doing that year. And so I'm feeling a lot more refreshed coming off of this 2017 Chicago marathon. And like last year, last year I couldn't fathom the idea of turning around and beginning training again. I had a really hard time getting back into training. And when we did get back into training, had a hard time making things click. I think partially because my body wasn't cooperating, but partially because emotionally I just wasn't there yet. Um, so it's nice to, it's nice to feel the urge to get back into that rhythm again. What do you guys feel like the best thing for you to mentally recover after big races like that is? Is it a trip? Is it no training? Is it hanging um, out with friends? For me, it's not necessarily no training unless I physically need to not train, um, which has been the case before. But for me, it's just about like getting out, like breaking routine, um, you know, not waking up for practice super early every day and like hating that moment of getting out of bed like that's a nice break to have from that um i usually try to take advantage of the time and take a trip uh, and go home or go do something else where running isn't like the only reason for going um but otherwise i think my life like kind of continues as normal but it's nice to be a little bit less neurotic yeah i would say actually to echo Noah a little bit um just not having to wake up for practice and run at a specific time is really nice. I know, Richie, you've actually encouraged me to go check out some of the runs that I wouldn't normally do while I'm in training, and so there's still a couple more that I'd like to drive up into the mountains to do um, that I know just once heavy training hits again, they probably won't happen. Or when the snow hits. Or when the snow hits. Yeah, we're in that window right now. Um so yeah, it's I, I like the sport enough to where I don't need to completely disengage from it, and I still enjoy getting out for aerobic runs, but it's nice to, to maybe take a break from the intensity for a little bit, um, because then running just becomes therapeutic and like the fun, fun release that it had when I first started. Now this next year being a non-world, non-Olympic year, what do you guys envision jumping back on the track? Do you guys envision staying mostly on the roads? We still have to hash out racing details, but just your initial thoughts. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I've never really governed a year of my career as like an Olympic year or not because I've never been in a position to like realistically think I can make an Olympic or world team. Um, so, for, in that regard, I don't think it really changes any approach I take to next year. I think. Um, you know, next year is about like building up to a marathon in the fall 
And if I can run fast again over the half, hopefully faster in the half, um, and maybe still run on the track, those are wins. There's other, like, non-time goals. Like, I would like to go race internationally at some point. I would like to travel to train here and there. So I think, like, next year is more about experimenting for me a little bit with different races, different, you know, venues here and there if possible. So that's kind of what I'm envisioning for next year, but um, but I would like to have that year culminate in a chance at a fast marathon, I guess. Um, I've So since I've been running, I've always run a track season, and I've been out of college for a bit now, which isn't... So a lot of, a lot of people, once they graduate college, kind of ditch track. Uh, but this might be the first year that I don't make it a focus. Um, I'm planning right now on doing some more road racing through the spring, and we're still figuring out exactly what that looks like, but running a fast half marathon is definitely on the schedule. I feel like I'm pretty overdue for one. My PR is from the cycle where I was training through a fracture on the Alter G, and so I'm really excited by the by the chance to actually focus on that distance and training, um, because I think there's a lot of untapped good stuff there. <laughs> Uh, and I might I might still jump on the track late season, but probably not early season. Now, a lot, obviously, has been made about the Nike Vaporfly shoes. Noah, you and I touched on our previous podcast about what it's like lining up against someone that has those on. And there's a lot of circumstances that affect the performance on that day. Not talking about the Vaporflies, but what did you guys wear in the race? Um, I wore the Saucony Fast Witch, which is... Uh... Uh, I would consider it your just kind of basic, uh, basic run flat, you know, pretty responsive, lightweight. That's all I was really looking to get out of it. But my feet held up super well, so I was happy about that. Do you feel like you'd wear that same one in the next one, or? Yeah, barring some like new product that I haven't seen yet. Um, you know, I made it through everything healthy in that shoe, and if I don't have any major complaints, I don't see any reason to change anything. Um, so I'd wear it again. And you wear that shoe pretty regularly in a lot of your workouts, so it's something you're used to. Yeah, yeah, I rotated through a few different pairs of them um, training, so felt like it was a safe choice. Um, I wore the 361 Chasers, and I've been really liking those, especially since we partnered with 361. They've actually been my, I mean, they've been my favorite training plot that I've found so far. Um, they're great for road racing, so I've had a good time in them, and I even do interval work in them. The one thing I'm not sure is they're, they also have a great shoe called the KGM, I want to say. That's just a little bit more sturdy. Um, not sure if that may fit the marathon distance a little bit better than the Chaser, but we'll kind of experiment with that in the future. Well, and that's something as we look deeper into the marathon, like marathon performance and reducing fatigue, like shoes do factor into that absorbing force versus giving you the responsiveness and so it's a fine balance between finding the right footwear that's one not going to give you blisters but also going to give you the responsiveness you're looking for but that we don't offset a lot of the like weight ratio for the sake of making it lighter which could potentially induce a little bit more force that you have to absorb so it is like i'm always curious to see like what the athletes feel about the footwear that they're using it's not the end-all be-all but it definitely is something that can factor in on the day. And on a hotter day, I mean, know what you experienced in Aaliyah too at Houston last year where it's hot and humid. 
that can significantly change what type of footwear or sock choice or whatever you might go with on the day. Um, any final thoughts regarding regarding your guys' races before we jump off here? What you're looking forward to in your next build-up? I'm just looking forward to like uh, starting it, not hobbling around, <laughs> you know, and like feeling like I'm really able to run as like get to the line, knowing I ran everything that, I, or at least most of what I thought I was going to on paper. So, yeah, and not having that stress of like, am I going to make it to the line? Am I going to make it to the line? You know, fit enough to run what I want to. Um, I would like to go in with a little you know, with my mind a little more at ease, I think. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm also similarly looking forward to just more consistency as we go into the next cycle too. Um, and that doesn't mean consistency within the cycle necessarily, but consistency coming into it as well. So I think we're headed in a good trend currently. Yeah. And it's, especially when you're looking for new PRs, especially in those longer distances, some of that factors into mindset that you have going into the race, whether you're willing to put yourself in a position to make make a big jump and having the confidence with what the training looked like going in that you're capable of that. And hopefully in, in the next races that both of you guys do with, with the marathon distance, you have the, the competitors around you that can invoke some racing in the last 10K too, so that the time, the time and the racing both kind of fall hand in hand. All right, well, thanks guys.